What country are you from? Uh, Uganda. Uganda. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's different. Small, like now, I was telling my brother, oh, we're going to watch birds. And he goes, what's the difference between birds? And I go, I don't know, but we're going. So, at the end of the trip, I'm sure I'll know what's the difference. Like, you know, to me, a goose is a goose. I'm Chris Chang and Phillips, Edmonton's Historian Laureate, and this is Let's Find Out, a podcast about the history of Edmonton, Alberta. Each episode, I'm going to find people with questions about local history, and then we're going to find out the answers together. This episode, the Snow Goose Case. It starts on a cloudy morning in April. I've just sat down on the bench beside Sophie Matov in the back of an overheated school bus. We're bumping around as we zip through highways near Towfield. It took us about an hour to come south here from Edmonton. What got Sophie on a school bus at 8 o'clock in the morning to ride up and down these highways past soggy farmer's fields? As usual, it was her daughter, Era, and Era's white grandma, Diana, who's always coming up with trips out hiking or strawberry picking for them to do together. Era, have you seen anything yet? Era, he's asking you a question. Ooh. Have you seen anything yet? Um, just a couple of birds. Today's adventure is part of a trip called the Snow Goose Chase. And our mission today on this school bus is to see as many migratory birds in those fields and ponds as we can. The grand prize being white snow geese on their way north, of course. But this whole trip, racing around from pond to pond looking for birds, it didn't used to be like this. It didn't used to be quite so madcap. It just used to be the Snow Goose Festival. I think that gap is the perfect way to start a show exploring our city's mysteries. This podcast is not, of course, the only one about Edmonton history. But we're going to do something a little different and let's find out. Because digging into the past is a lot of fun, but it's not always obvious where to look for answers. So I'm going to show you some of the amazing archives and historians and smart people with long memories who can help you out. And we're going to learn some cool stuff along the way. Starting with the Snow Goose Case. How did the Snow Goose Festival become the Snow Goose Chase? And for our first episode, the curious Edmontonian is me. This was something I got curious about a few years ago when I went on the trip for the first time and I heard all these rumors about the festival it used to be. And I think the answer reveals something fascinating about us and what we can get used to and how quickly normal can change. So let's get back on that school bus. Okay, uh, what kind of birds are you really, really hoping to see today that you haven't seen yet? A swan. How come? Because it's pink and it's my favorite color. Sophie's daughter, Era, is in luck because spring in Tofield is an excellent time to see all kinds of migratory birds. I was a city kid. You know, I grew up thinking blue jays were exotic. In the Snow Goose Chase bird checklist, blue jays are rated A for can't miss. When you get into B for hope to find and C for how lucky can we get, there are birds I didn't even know existed. Delicate pink and black and white avocets wading out into the water, Lesser yellow legs watching from trees. Red winged blackbirds perching on cattails. Stan, does this pond have a name? You know? Chris was asking. I know of. They call it the soccer field pond. <laughs> oh, that's a technical term. <laughs> that's Stan Gaucher. Stan's been around long enough to remember when it wasn't so hard to find snow geese around here. That's the red winged blackbird calling. So I asked him to tell me. What do you remember about that time? Hello, my name is Stan Gaucher. I'm a member of the Edmonton Nature Club, and I've been running a tour bus with the Snow Goose Chase 
probably for 15 years now. I'm a volunteer scout organizer and caretaker for all the people on the trip. Caretaker, rounding everybody up. Yeah, you got to make sure everybody has their washroom breaks and doesn't leave, don't leave anything on the bus and take their kids and wives with them when they leave and go. And I think that was a joke because Stan did actually forget his wife at one of the roadside stops we made. But it was okay. She caught up to our bus in somebody else's car. So what is the Snow Goose Chase all about for somebody who's never even heard of it? Well, uh, since 1992, the town of Tofield had put on a Snow Goose Festival. Basically what it was was a celebration of spring migration. The weather's turning warmer, the snow is melting. All the birds that you haven't seen for since late fall or late last summer uh, are starting to arrive. And it's a celebration of the leaves opening, the grass turning green, the sun uh, hours uh, lengthening during the day, and it's just a full celebration. It's after the spring uh, solstice. So uh, all of the snow geese started coming in usually uh, third week of April or middle of April and the town of Tofield just uh, took advantage of it because they had the big lake there where they used to uh, uh, bathe and spend their afternoons. They'd go out, the geese would go out in the fields, the farmer's fields, and clean up the waste grain and that from the year, last year's crops and then settle out on the lake and uh, the town of Tofield had a festival there that was, uh, it was almost like a carnival. There was uh, duck carvers and artists and people doing arts and crafts and booths set up and Ducks Unlimited and the Canadian Wildlife Service and everybody involved in this and basically you'd drive out to Tofield and uh, you'd pay for a bus ticket and you'd get on a, and go for a little tour or nature walk along the lake. I did some digging at the City of Edmonton archives and if anything Stan is underselling how big of a deal the Snow Goose Festival was. Literally hundreds of thousands of snow geese would stop by. And also, have you ever heard of the IUCN, the organization that decides which species are endangered? Well, they designated Beaver Hill Lake a Ramsar site. That basically means they said, this site isn't just pretty, it's globally important for what it does to nurture biodiversity. I found old posters from the Snow Goose Festival in the Edmonton Archives, too. They have silhouettes of birders striking poses with cameras and binoculars, besides silhouettes of flocks of geese flying over reeds and grasses. Celebrate spring migration and the return of geese, ducks, swans, and shorebirds, one says. Activities for all ages. I read estimates that between five and 6,000 people would make their way down to Beaver Hill Lake to watch the birds. So I asked Stan, the Empton Nature Club guide, what happened? Beaver Hill Lake used to be seven kilometers east to west and uh, 30 kilometers north-south. And uh, you could see it from a long ways away. The lake started shrinking, and it was a shallow lake to start off with, although it covered uh, a lot of square kilometers. And uh, eventually, the geese decided that they weren't going there anymore. And so they'd go to the richer bodies of water to the east and the south that were deeper, clearer, and cleaner. And uh, the town of Tofield at one point just decided, hey, the geese aren't coming to Tofield anymore. It's kind of not really a good idea to have a snow goose festival anymore. So the people in the Edmonton Natural History Club and the Edmonton Bird Club, uh, particularly Bob Pars Parsons, decided that there, there was no way he wanted the people of uh, Edmonton and Sherwood Park and St. Albert to miss out on the festival. So 
he coined his own uh, little trip, the Snow Goose Chase. And what happened from then on was the buses would all leave from Edmonton. We'd go down to the same area that we did for the Snow Goose Festival, and we would go to where the geese were, and we would chase them. So the Edmonton Nature Club remade the festival into the Snow Goose Chase, which is a pretty creative way of adapting to the lake at the center of the festival vanishing. And it definitely still offers some pretty amazing moments, like the moment when the bus stops near a field full of white birds and someone hands a pair of binoculars to Ara. We're looking out the window through binoculars. Like white and kind of a little bit of black. Do you see it? No, it's white. Wow. Huh? Come. <laughs> Is it as exciting as you thought? <laughs> They're really pretty. Yay! You got it. Era opens up her checklist of birds checks off tundra swans, and at the end of the day, we do the traditional count of all the bird species everyone on the bus saw. How many bird species do you think we saw between everybody on the bus? 20? 30? Try 65. We saw 65 different species in one day. That's amazing. But wait, what about Beaver Hill Lake? It just disappeared? That opens up a whole new question. How did that happen? Well, here's where I admit that when I got home, the next stage of my research was a Google search. I thought, what I need now is a scientist who's actually examined why Beaver Hill Lake dried up, and I need someone willing to talk to me for the podcast. So logically, if I do a Google News search for Beaver Hill Lake, I should be able to find an article featuring a scientist willing to talk to the media, right? Well, sort of. I did find an article about prairie lakes drying up that quoted this Environment Canada scientist named Garth Vanderkamp. But he gently brushed me off when I asked him to come on the podcast. Instead, he sent me a paper he wrote about lakes across the Canadian prairies. And it turns out, over the last century, lots of them have been in decline. Did you know that? I didn't know that. That's kind of a big deal, right? That overall, lakes in the Canadian prairies shrunk in the 20th century? He didn't know the specific story about Beaver Hill Lake. But he said lakes in the prairies are really sensitive to minor changes. A little less runoff, a little more evaporation, a little less rain and snow, can make a big difference. If any one of them changes, Garth said it's like how your bank account is in long-term trouble if your withdrawals are even just a little bit larger than your deposits. So Beaver Hill Lake probably succumbed to some mix of a little less rain and snow, a little more evaporation, and a little less runoff. I really just had one big question left. What is actually left of the lake? If you look at the drawn-out version of Google Maps, it's the same size it was in the 90s, but on satellite view, it's just green. I found a lot of contradictory maps like this. I've got maps of all different sorts of things. We had one from, and I can't find the newest one. Uh. At this point, I figured one group of people who could definitely tell me where the lake is today would be people in Towfield. I called the Beaver Hill Lake Nature Center to ask if anyone could help me out. They pointed me to a super helpful lady who works at the town of Towfield. She told me she's worked there for about 100 years. Uh, my name is Vanita Eglauer. I work for the town of Towfield as their recreation facilities coordinator. I've been involved with Beaver Hill Lake for, well, as long as I've worked here, so 25, 26 years. So. Well, close enough. I drove down to the Towfield administration building, which, by the way, is the same building as the town library. And Vanita took me upstairs to her desk on the second floor. She told me that 
Through the whole process of the Snow Goose Festival fading away, the Edmonton Nature Club folks have really been the keepers of the flame. I believe the opinion was we were having to, we weren't delivering what we were promising people we could see because you'd get to Tofield, then you'd have to hop on a bus for a two-hour tour, drive another 30 minutes down the highway and hope because you're relying on water, open water, flooded fields, that sort of thing, to keep the birds in the area. And so at that point, some of the larger partners just decided it wasn't quite what they were, yeah, and so they suspended their <laughs> their support. But the Edmonton Nature Club never wavered. They continued their snow goose chase tours, and to this day, every spring, Bob Parsons is now running those. And it's because of the Edmonton Nature Club that an up-to-date map exists of Beaver Hill Lake today. And one volunteer in particular, who marched out in the fields to see what's really there. Vanita found a copy of Jim Lang's map from 2012 and printed it out. We compared the dotted lines he drew in a little ghost shape to the big wavy oval around it from the historical maps. So, yeah. um, okay, so we're looking at a map of the Toefield area in Beaver Hill Lake that was made by the Edmonton Nature Club. Um, and it shows, it does show the outline of what the lake would have been in the 90s, I guess? Probably original, like, uh, yeah, 90s, even probably into the 80s, yep. Okay, and I see little arrows pointing to Decker Islands <laughs> Natural Area, Pelican Islands. Um, I imagine these are not islands anymore. They are not. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> they used to be very distinct islands, and now they are just part of the uh, the grassy uh, prairie land, as I think what they call Beaver Hill Lake now, or Grange Land. I think it's prairie land, but yeah. And so Jim Lang actually walked, I believe it was one winter, with a GPS unit on his backpack, and where he ran into frozen water. He identified that that's where water would have been and recorded those GPS coordinates. And that's how we came up with this little, you know, puddle that's probably a third of the size of what the lake was. Wow. So that was 2012. Um, In, I want to say it was 2014. I would have to go check at the Nature Center. There are photos that a local gentleman sent. um, He had a drone that was up and he took pictures of it. And in the distance, from the south end of the lake, you can see a tiny puddle of water. (laughs) So whether it's like a natural spring or whether there, in fact, was a little bit of water, it's hard to say, but it it was just a fraction of this, what would have been in the lake. Smaller even than what Jim Lane found. Considerably smaller, yeah. Probably maybe a quarter if if, if you were really lucky. Wow. Yeah. I felt like Vinita painted a pretty solid picture of what's left of the lake. Oh. Yeah, and as I was leaving, she casually mentioned that the lake bed actually set on fire back a few years ago. And actually, they had it out, and it actually ignited a second time, and it may have been caused by the wind, but it's just a lot of peat moss in there, so I mean, it it could... Which, wow. I felt like the last piece of the puzzle, for myself and for you guys, was to actually drive to the edge of the lake and see for myself what was there. Benita gave me directions to a place not far from town called Francis Viewpoint. She said if I walked north from the parking lot, I'd reach a bird blind that used to be right up against the lakeshore in the 90s. A perfect spot for secretly watching birds out on the shallow water without disturbing them. So I headed out. Okay, I am now walking down the trail. Just a little bit of rock, really, in the middle of a field of grass. So far I see gravel short grasses. Saw a cow earlier. And a little line of trees. 
come through a break in the trees, going through a little taller grass to the bird blind, which is what looks to be a very old shack. The roof is starting to collapse. To my right is a field of very peaceful cattle. To my left is a field of grass and a line of trees. There are a surprising number of mosquitoes out coming up to the shack. This really feels like the end of a journey. Welcome to Francis Viewpoint. There's no door. I'm just gonna walk inside. <laughs> and yeah, ahead of me, where there used to be a lake apparently, there is grass and fields as far as the eye can see. see a few birds playing around in the in the grass to the left there's actually a little slough that was probably for cattle but if nobody told me that this place was called Beaver Hill Lake I would never know there even used to be a lake here So my question was, how did the Snow Goose Festival become the Snow Goose Chase? The answer that I got was, the festival used to be based on the lake, Beaver Hill Lake, and the lake itself dried up. I came to the spot where Beaver Hill Lake used to be, and there is definitely no lake here anymore. Just grass and a whole lot of cattle. So. I think we've safely solved this question. And I think what I've learned from this journey is that it's easy to get used to a new normal. You know, there's this concept called shifting baselines that whatever we're acclimatized to at a certain stage of our life, we expect that that's the baseline and any changes that we see we measure from that baseline. So if you're used to having a lake in your area, you know, it's a big change if the lake dries up over the years. But if you're like me and you just hear about a bird watching tour, hopping from intermittent wetland to little wetland, and you didn't know that there used to be a lake nearby, where there's a whole festival with thousands of people coming down to see the migratory birds, we don't know that that's what normal used to be. We're really adaptable creatures. It's easy for us to get used to a new way of things, a new normal, a new baseline. But if we forget what used to be, we forget how rich the world could be too. Thanks for listening to the very first episode of Let's Find Out. I really wanna know what you guys thought and I want your questions about Edmonton history. Drop me a line at chris at letsfindoutpodcast.com. I've released a second episode that's available to download right now. You can find it on iTunes and at letsfindoutpodcast.com. 
In that episode, I followed Bashir Muhammad, a politics junkie who's really into black history right now, as we try to find an answer to what seemed like a simple question. Has Edmonton ever had a black public school trustee? That's on the second episode of Let's Find Out. And hey, can you do me a favor? Can you go into iTunes right now and leave a review for this show, even if you're not ready to subscribe or anything? Leaving a review makes a huge difference in helping other people find this podcast. You can pause. I'll wait. Okay, I have so many thank yous to hand out. Thank you to Sophie Matov, Era Matov, Diana Riley, Stan Gaucher, Garth Vanderkamp, and Vanita Eglauer for speaking with me. Thanks to the folks at the City of Edmonton Archives for research help. Thanks to the Edmonton Nature Club for letting me ride along. To the Edmonton Historical Board and the Edmonton Heritage Council for supporting this podcast and its long gestation. To the three historians laureate before me. And to everyone who's been encouraging me along the way as I've developed this. Especially Finn. Original music for this podcast by the really lovely human being Doug Hoyer. Artwork for our logo by Andrea Hergy at Mount Pioneer Design. I'm Chris Chang and Phillips. And until next time, keep your questions coming.